songs can be such powerful things to teach us things. Back in the Middle Ages, before people really knew how to read very well, the church would use songs and stained glass windows and other things to help people to learn Bible stories and other things. Um, I'm a proud father. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old son. Um, and I am amazed at the things that he has been learning through the songs. Um, about a week ago, he, for the first time, sang his entire alphabet song, which was really cool. He did it as I was tucking him into bed. And um, I was just I was amazed at just how much he knows just through the songs that he learns. It's really cool. Um, to illustrate this point further, how we can learn songs, I have rewritten the lyrics to the song that we are studying today, We Three Kings, to teach you guys a little bit about one of my favorite movies, which is Lord of the Rings. Um, I'm going to have Krista come up here, and um, Mary's going to accompany it. Um, this song is going to teach you guys about a character from Lord of the Rings called Ringwraiths. All right? And the way this is going to work is Carissa is going to sing it through once, and then you guys have to join in. Okay? There will be a quiz afterwards, so I encourage you to join in and sing along. Now for your quiz. What color are the ring wraiths? Especially if you haven't seen the movie, can you answer it? What was that? They're not gold. The ring is gold. The, the character is black. Yes, very good. What is their preferred mode of transportation? Black horses, that's right. And what are they seeking? Yes, Sauron's ring. Very good. You now know more about ringwraiths than you ever wanted to. 
and you are welcome. <laughs> but just like this melody was used to teach you a little bit about Lord of the Rings, it was originally written to explain the theology of the biblical story of the wise men. Let's take a look at verse 1 of this song. It goes, We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. This verse is really an intro to the song and lays the stage for what it's about. It's about these kings who traveled from the Orient bringing gifts for Jesus. Let's now take a look at that story from Matthew chapter 2. And I want to encourage you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 2 as we look at this story of the wise men from the Bible. As you're turning there, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have this morning to gather together and study your word. Lord, I pray that you would make most of our time here together and that you would speak through me, that you would fill me with your spirit and enable me to speak your truth and that we would learn something from this story, important things about your son and why he came to this earth. Amen. All right. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, Where is the Christ that was to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out exactly when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. Now, in this passage, in this song, talks a lot about the wise men and about the star and the, the journey they traveled. The truth is, though, this story is not about the wise men. It's about Jesus. And it's specifically about the gifts that the wise men brought for Jesus and what they tell us about who Jesus is. What I want to do is go through each of the elements that they brought and explain to you what the element is, 
what it teaches us about Jesus and how it impacts our life. First of all, let's look at the element of gold. Most of us know what gold is. It's a precious metal. In fact, it is the most sought-after precious metal. It symbolizes royalty, purity, and wealth. In ancient times, and even today, gold is really a status symbol. People that had a lot of gold were looked at as being very important. It's kind of like a modern-day Lamborghini. Most people don't buy Lamborghinis because they need a car that can go over 200 miles an hour. They want a, a Lamborghini because they want people to see how rich they are. That's kind of how gold was back in that day. And I think it's, it's true now. When, when people wear a lot of gold jewelry, it is a little bit of a status symbol. Um, especially in, in Israel, um, during the time of the kings, a king that had a lot of gold was seen as someone that had received their authority from God. Um, I want to read you a passage from 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, which is talking about King Solomon. We know that King Solomon was one of the richest kings in all of history and was a king that God definitely blessed. And I want to read you this um, passage to just show you the splendor that Solomon had as king of Israel. Starting in verse 14, the weight of gold that Solomon received yearly was 25 tons, not including the revenues from merchants and traders from all the Arabian kings and the governors of the land. He, that basically means Solomon was given 25 tons of gold every year. That's a lot of gold. And that doesn't even include the taxes um, from the merchants and the traders. That's just the gold that he was given. So you can see here that King Solomon was just lavished in gold. He had a lot of it. And again, that meant that Solomon had received his authority from God and that God was blessing him. And so when the people saw that their king had a lot of gold, they had more trust in him because they knew that that king had been given that from God. And we see also on the flip side, when kings were disobedient to God, God sent in other nations and took their gold away. So gold was a a really important thing for kings in Israel. And a king's job was to represent God and to lead the nation of Israel. They were to set the example for the people of Israel. And as you study the history in Israel, you see that when the king of Israel honored God, the nation was blessed. And when the nation um, led by their king did not honor God, bad things happened to Israel. So what does this tell us about Jesus? Well, first, the gift of gold from the wise men tells us that Jesus is God's appointed king. And he is the king over everything. Jesus is not just a king, though. He is the most important king in history. You see, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, there was a king named David. He was probably Israel's second most important king of all time. 
He was a king that was described as someone who sought after God. He was a king after God's own heart. He was, for the most part, he did some bad things, but for the most part, he was a king that sought to honor God in all he did. And God made a promise to David. David, through your line, there will come a king who will rule forever. It says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This is a prophecy telling David that one of his great-great-grandsons will be a king in Israel forever and will establish a great-great kingdom. This king is Jesus. See, one of the main reasons that Jesus came down to the earth is to establish his kingdom. The primary topic of what Jesus talked about was his kingdom. He, much of his parables and stories and even some of, most of his miracles were all about what his kingdom is and what it will look like when it is established. And we believe that the kingdom is an already but not yet status. The king has already, or the kingdom has already been issued in when Jesus came down to the world. But it is not yet here because it will be completed when Jesus comes back and he serves as king in the millennial reign and forever in, in heaven. Today, Jesus is the leader of the church and he will reign forever. Most of us, I think, grasp this idea. I mean, we're taught from small children that Jesus is a king, right? What does it mean for us today? Well, because the goal tells us that Jesus is king, we should make Jesus our Lord. To have Jesus as Lord means that you're allowing him to influence every part of your life. A Lord, back in biblical times um, and in other Um, times throughout history was really a person that um, had total control over another person's life. And I don't know that God necessarily sits up in heaven with controls forcing us to do things. But God wants us to allow him to influence and to be a part of everything that we do. And I think that's really important. And the question that we need to ask ourselves today is, is Jesus the Lord of my life? Am I allowing him to have that complete influence over everything? Not just have him be a part of my life, maybe one week on a Sunday morning, or in addition to that, a couple minutes every day for my devotions. But am I allowing God to be a part of my everyday, day-to-day life? Am I allowing him to influence the business decisions that I make? Am I allowing him to influence the way that I treat my husband or my wife or my children or my friends or my coworkers or my boss? All those things, Jesus needs to be the top priority in influencing the way that we live. And I bet if we stopped and think about it, each of us could find an area where we're really struggling in that to make Jesus Lord of our life. I know even as a pastor, that's a struggle for me. But I'm hoping that 2013 I can grow in my ability to allow Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And I want to take some time right now. Let's pray that God would become greater Lord in our life. Dear Heavenly Father, 
Lord, we know that you are a king. Lord, we know that because you gave the wise men gold. Or you gave the wise men the idea to give Jesus gold on his birthday. So we know that you are a king. Lord, we really want you to be the king of our lives. God, it's so hard. Lord, we need you to help us. So please, Lord, help us to put you first in our life and to allow you to influence everything that we do. Because whenever we try to do it on our own, we always fail. And maybe that's a good thing. But Lord, we're tired of trying to live our life without you. We need you to be our Lord and to guide us. So please, Lord, help us to grow in this area. Amen. All right. So the gold that the Magi gave to Jesus tells us that Jesus is king and that he wants to be the Lord of your life. Frankincense tells us that he is God. Um, Steve, I need your help now. I'm going to have some, we're going to have some fun today. I'm excited about this. Um, Frankincense is a resin. You can get it going. Uh, Can you guys hear me over that? Okay. Frankincense is a resin that um, comes from a tree called the Boswellia tree. The bark is slashed and a hard sap or a soft sap flows out which hardens into a frankincense resin, which you can see up there on the screen. Um, In Israel, they burned this in the temple. This is what it smells like. There we go. It's a little much, but oh well. All right. Um, You should be able to start smelling that in a couple of seconds. In Israel, this incense was burned inside of the temple, um, particularly in the Holy Holies, and whenever an offering, other than a sin offering, was given to God. And it was really meant to symbolize the presence of God in the temple. So what does it tell us about Jesus? I think it's quite clear that frankincense tells us that Jesus, ooh, that's good, uh, is God incarnate. Incarnate means that, literally means in the flesh. It's Jesus with some meat on, the, meat on his bones. It's this idea that God came down, took on human form, and came down to be with us. I want to read a passage for you from John chapter 1, verses 19 and t- or sorry, 9 through 18, which tells us about how Jesus came down as God. It says, The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children, children not born of natural descent, nor of a husband's decision, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. 
from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. We see from this passage just the intimacy and the desire of God to be with his people. You see the language in there about his children and him taking on flesh and and being with his people. Can you guys smell that yet? Doesn't it smell good? Yeah, I know. I hope so too. That would not be good. Um, But the cool thing I think about this passage and about God is that God is not just some divine being, not some divine creator that just went out and just made the earth and then ran away and just let us here to deal with our own depravity. But th- we serve a God who greatly... Uh, yeah, just take the one. I need the other one. Don't touch the metal. That's going to burn you. Um, take it. Hold it by the wood down here. Okay? Let me know when you have it. Okay, good. Okay, um, we see that God, like I said, is not just some divine being that created the world and then left. He desires to be an intimate part of it. And he, is, he has given us the ultimate proof that he wants to be involved in his creation by sending his son Jesus down to the world and to become one of us. God created mankind to have a relationship with him. That's why we were created, to have a relationship with him and to give him glory. Even though sin has destroyed that relationship, we know that God has not given up on us. Um, on February 14th, 2008, um, I had planned a very cool surprise. Um, I wanted to come up and spend some time with Carissa, who at that time I was dating. And um, I planned this, this elaborate idea where um, I was going to travel up from Chicago because I was going to school there. And I was going to come up there, and um, while she was at worship team practice, I was going to come and pick her up, and we were going to go out to Chili's and just enjoy some time together on Valentine's Day. And again, the coolest part was she had no idea. And I had even worked with her dad um, to make this plan work because it, it would be difficult if she had a car there. So I had her dad drive her to worship team pra- practice and then promise to come and pick her up. And of course, the plan was that he wasn't coming to pick her up at all. It was going to be me, um, which was really cool. The issue was um, we had a snowstorm that night. And so my train got delayed. Um, so it ended up um, taking off late, and I, I did get on it, and we, we came up, and then I went home, and there was just this big snowstorm um, of 2008. Um, I don't remember how much snow there was, but I do remember I really wanted um, to get um, up to Sheboygan, and I was already a little afraid right now that I was going to be um, cutting it close. Um, and there was these line of cars in front of me that were going like 10 miles an hour. And so I, I come up to, to pass them, and I think there were five of them, and just as I was about to pass the third car, the second car 
decides to get into the left lane, totally cutting me off. Like, I had two options, slam on my brakes or, like, ram him. And um, I, I hit the brakes. So my car, like, slides off, and I go into the ditch, and I'm, like, totally bummed. Um, and so I, I call my dad, and um, we get a wrecker to come and, and tow my car out, and he pulled me up to Belgium. And I got back in the car, and I drove right up to Sheboygan. And I ended up getting there um, just a couple minutes before um, practice end. And we had a really good night that time. Um, it was really good. Um, oh, that, yeah, that, that's cool. But, but, I mean, after that, it was, it was just really good to, to be with her. And I think all the, the struggle that I had to go through, um, you know, just even made it better. But the point I'm trying to make is that I really, really, really wanted to spend Valentine's Day with my girlfriend. And the delayed train couldn't stop me. A storm couldn't stop me. Not even a car in the ditch could stop me. And I believe that's how God feels about you. That he really wants to have a relationship with you. That even though there were things like our sin, it didn't stop him. Frankincense tells us that Jesus is God. And now we should have a relationship with him. And we know that God has done everything he can to make that relationship possible. The only thing that he won't do is force us to have a relationship with us. So the question for us today is what are we doing to strengthen our relationship with God? Are we spending some time praying with Him regularly? Are we reading His Word? Are we attending church on a regular basis? But even more important than those religious activities, which are important, those things are beneficial, I think what God is really looking for is for us to invite Him into our lives. And that whenever we're driving to work, he's on our mind. And we're asking him to be with us that day. When we're facing temptation, we ask him and we tell him about it. Say, God, I'm struggling with this. I need your help right now. When we're having the time of our lives, we share that with him and we say, Thank you, God, for this. God, this is awesome. And, and we worship him in those little moments. I think I've been married almost four years now. And I know that if I didn't prioritize my relationship with my wife, it wouldn't be very good. And I think as much as I, want, I love my wife and I want to prioritize that relationship, my relationship with God is just as and even more important than my relationship with her. And I want to prioritize that relationship and I want to encourage you to as well. Let's take some time and pray for that right now. Jesus, God, we're so thankful that you took on flesh and came down to be with us. Lord, we know that you are desperate for a relationship with us. Lord, this morning we agree that we want one with you too. Father, sometimes it's really hard. There's a lot of things in life that we prioritize over our relationship with you. 
Father, in this new year, please help us to not allow things to get in the way of us. Father, help us as a congregation to prioritize time spent with you and that we would invite you into the little things in our lives and that you would know us and that we would know you through our relationship that we prioritize. Amen. All right, so the gold that the Magi gave to Jesus tells us that Jesus is king and that he wants to be the Lord of your life. The frankincense tells us that Jesus is God and that he wants a relationship with you. The myrrh points to Jesus' suffering on the cross. Um, Like frankincense, myrrh is a resin that comes from a tree. You cut the bark on the tree, just like frankincense, and the sap comes out. Is it working? No! Yes! Right, I'll put less on this time, I promise. Okay. Um, so that, that sap flows out, and after time, it hardens. Let's go this way. All right, and it becomes a resin, like the picture on the screen. Um, it is similar to frankincense, except it has a darker color. Um, it is taken from a Camaphora family of trees. I think that should be good. Thank you, Steve. I'm only going to put like one piece on this time. Let's get a really good one, though. There we go. Okay. Um, In ancient times, myrrh has had three main purposes. The first is perfume, um, because it does smell pretty good. Um, The second is to embalm the dead. Um, Most notably in Egypt, um, this is definitely the spice that they used or at least one of the spices they would use to mum- mummify um, Pharaoh um, and Pharaoh's of past. And um, it was also used um, during Jesus' day for the same purpose, to embalm the dead and to preserve the body and to minimize the stink. Um, and the third way that it was used is they would melt it down and mix it with wine, and it became an ancient day ibuprofen. It was a painkiller, um, numbing um, the pain. And I, I wonder if it works, because I was trying this out on, um, on Monday, or was it some, sometime this week, and um, I had a headache, but I really wanted to try it out anyway. So I, I started burning it, and I actually started to feel better, which um, kind of the same way as if I would have taken um, pain meds. It was kind of cool. Um, but anyway, we see um, in the, the New Testament, myrrh is used um, three times. The first one is um, when the Magi give it to Jesus um, at his birth, the story that we're studying today. The second time is in Mark chapter 15, verse 23, um, when Jesus is about to be crucified, they offer him some wine mixed with myrrh as painkiller which he refuses. Um, and then the third time that we see it used in the New Testament is in John chapter 19, verse 39, when after Jesus um, is dead, um, Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and asks for his body. And then he takes Jesus' body and wraps it 
in cloth along with a hundred pounds of myrrh and other aloes. So we see here that myrrh clearly points to the fact that Jesus came to die. So the question then is, why did Jesus, who is God, have to die? I believe the answer lies in this video. It's the full story of life crushed into four minutes. The entirety of humanity in the palm of your hand crushed into one sentence. Listen, it's intense, right? God, our sins, paying everyone life. The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told. God. Yes? God. The maker and giver of life. And by life, I mean any and all manner and substance. Seen and unseen. What can and can be touched. Thoughts, image, emotions, love, atoms, and oceans. God. All of it is handiwork, one of which is masterpiece, made so uniquely that angels look curiously. The one thing in creation that was made with his imagery, the concept so cold. It's the reason I stay bold, how God breathed in a man and he became a living soul. Formed with the intent of being infinitely, intimately fond. Creator and creation held an eternal bond. And it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong. A species got deceived and started lusting for his job. An odd list of complaints. As if the system ain't working. And used that same breath he graciously gave us to curse him. And that sin seed spread through our soul's genome. And by nature of your nature... Your species, you participated in the mutiny, our, yes, our sins. It's nature inherited, black in the human heart. It was over before it started. Deceived from day one and led away by our own lust. There's not a religion in the world that doesn't agree that something's wrong with us. The question is, what is it and how do we fix it? Are we eternally separated from a God that may or may not have existed? But that's another subject. Let's keep grinding. Besides trying to prove God is like defending a lion, homie. It don't need your help. Just unlock the cage. Let's move on on how our debt can be paid. Short and sweet. The problem is sin. Yes, sin. It's a cancer, an asthma, choking out our life force, forcing separation from a perfect and holy God. And the only way to get back is to get back to perfection. But silly us, trying to pass the course of life without referring to a syllabus. This is us. Keep up your good deeds. Chant, pray, meditate. But all of that, of course, is spraying cologne on a corpse. Or you could choose to ignore it as if something don't stink. It's like stepping in dog poop and refusing to wipe your shoe. But all of that ends with how good is good enough. Take your silly list of good deeds and line them up against perfection. Good luck. That's life past your pay grade. The cost of your soul, you ain't got a big enough piggy bank. But you could give it a shot. But I suggest you throw away the list, because even your good acts are an extension of your selfishness. But here's where it gets interesting. I hope you're closely listening. Please don't get it twisted. It's what makes our faith unique. Here's what God says is part A of the gospel. You can't fix yourself. Quit trying. It's impossible. Sin brings death. 
give God his breath back. You owe him. Eternally separated. And the only way to fix it is someone die in your place. And that someone got to be perfect. Or the payment ain't permanent. So if and when you find a perfect person, get him or her to willingly trade their perfection for your sin and death in. Clearly, since the only one that can meet God's criteria is God, God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness, his death, functions as payment. Yes, payment. Wrote a check with his life, but at the resurrection we all cheered because that means the check cleared. Pierced feet, pierced hands, blood-stained son of man, fullness, forgiveness, free passage into the promised land. That same breath that God breathed into us, God gave up to redeem us. And anyone and everyone, and by everyone I mean everyone, who puts their faith and trust in Him, and Him alone can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness. And here's what the promise is. That you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity by simply believing in Christ and Christ alone. You are receiving life. Yes, life. This is the gospel. God, our sins, paying everyone. At the core of the gospel, we are sinners who have earned a death penalty. Jesus came to die to pay that penalty for us. In order to receive this payment, we need to place our trust in him and in him alone. Myrrh tells us that Jesus came to die. We should trust Jesus as our Savior. If you have never done that, I encourage you to pray with me now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that we are sinners. Lord, we know that we have done things that displease you, that hurt others, and that hurt ourselves. Lord, we have tried to do good things to outweigh our bad deeds, Lord, but if we study your word, the Bible, we know that that's impossible. Father, we give up trying to earn our salvation through good deeds. Lord, we need your son, Jesus, who died on the cross to pay my penalty for sin, who took my punishment so that I don't have to. Lord, I thank you for that. And I believe that because of what you did and only because of what you did, I can continue to have a relationship with you. And I can spend eternity with you in heaven. Lord, now that I have placed my trust in you, please help me to live the life that you want me to live to live a life that honors you. Not because I'm trying to earn salvation, but as a response to the love that you first showed to me. Amen. Well, we saw that we three kings, verses 2, 3, and 4, tell us all about the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh.
the gifts that were given to Jesus. Verse 5 tells us what our response should be. And it's simply this, to worship him. So on that note, I'd like to invite you to stand and sing with us, We Three Kings. We're going to do all five verses. Yeah.
chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made it himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being found in human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. My prayer for us today is that we will examine who Jesus is, and like that star, we will point others to Jesus. Have a good week.